At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombard here, the World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leaders. And I am super excited to share someone very special here with me in the studio and her tremendous accomplishment success despite numerous obstacles she faced daily and over achieving with the list of tremendous accomplishments, which I cannot wait for her to share. Uh, she's joined us from DC, but what's really interesting is um, she has has such a strong passion for people. She's educator. She's president on Maryland Career Development Association. She's been recognized as a world leader in that space. She also has degree in education, specifically focusing on psychosocial aspects of a master's in education and communication and technology. But her degree is also focusing on biobiological science uh, and then also uh, many other uh, concentration regards to um, how do we perceive on bio, psycho, social, cultural model. Without further ado, let me introduce you to Dr. Sajata Ives. How are you, Sajata? Hi, thank you so much, Isabel. It's such an honor and privilege to be here with you this evening. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. You're very welcome. I'm so glad you could be with us here today and uh, specifically uh, finding time and, and when, when, when everything is shifting and changing. But also for everybody uh, watching and listening, you're such a huge advocate about uh, diversity, inclusion, um, belonging and acceptance. And some of those elements that you also very much so advocate you experience firsthand. Do you mind sharing a little bit with listeners um, how that influence what you experience and still experience in some ways is also helping you to really understand and lead with such amazing success of others um, that are experiencing similar shifts in their lives? What a great question to start with. Thank you, Isabel. And the first thing that I want to say is um, I am a leader with a disability. I have a genetic condition where my vocal cords do not close. So I uh, speak with a little bit of wiggle, little bit of jiggle. Um, if you've ever lost your voice, you know, I'm sure that you get uh, strategies and try to make your voice better. In a couple of days, your voice comes back. But uh, my voice is like this. And so it's been a challenge for me because the very first thing that we do for communication, for impression management, for acceptance, for work, and for life is we speak. And so um, 
some people get their challenges much later in life, but I got mine a little bit sooner than later. So I understand the challenges that leaders have, the emerging leaders have, and I'm an advocate certainly for diversity, for equity, for inclusion of not only physically disabled, but also there are so many challenges that people have. And so including uh, everybody and um, this belongingness piece and accessibility piece that we also have to address uh, with people. And so I'm originally from India. And I think my father had some wisdom. Um, he wanted to bring us to America. He told me, he said, Sujata, you are going to have many more opportunities in the United States. That was his opinion. And um, that's what he felt at the time was right for the family. So we migrated here in search of the American dream. Hmm. And uh, I had to learn English as a child. I had to, you know, you want to fit in, of course, when you're uh, in middle school. It's a very formidable age to, you know, come into a society and the, the whole assimilation, integration, uh, learning the language, the customs, the dress, so forth, and doing your schoolwork, too, you know. So, um, funny enough, at home, my parents would say to me, speak less, listen more. Mm. And that was their... But then I'd go away to college and my professors would say, speak up. You are a strong woman. You are an empowered woman. So um, I had to balance these two cultures. And mm -hmm. when I went home, it was India. When I walked out my front door, it was the U.S. But I'll tell you, Isabella. I started enjoying those freedoms, the freedom of speech, the freedom to write, <clears throat> excuse me, the freedom to help other people, you know, to find out what your purpose is, right? And so one of the famous poets, um, I forget the name of the poet, but he said, um, the two most important days in your life are the day that you were born and the day that you figure out why. Mm. And it's a game changer. You know, so when I went to college here, I was being empowered and I was coming out of my shell and I was speaking up and I was writing and I was doing all of these things and it just felt good, you know. And once I learned, then the calling for leadership arrived. Fantastic. And 
you know, and you have to have colleagues. Look at yourself too, Isabella. You know, you are also an empowered world leader who helps other uh, leaders. And so it's a calling. You have to like people. And earlier you said you love people. So if you don't, you know, if people don't like um, to work with people, if leaders don't like people, I say there are so many other ways that you can utilize your talents because leadership truly requires you to like people. You have to like them. You have to care about them. And just like me, you know, I it dawned on me. It just came like a calling. Um, I want to be a leader. Mm. And so then I asked myself, okay, why do I want to be a leader? Then my answer to that was, I want more responsibility. I can handle more responsibility. Then I asked myself, why do I want responsibility? <laughs> Most people are shying away from responsibility. They don't yes. want the responsibility. They want the maximum pay for the minimum amount of work. You know, <laughs> some of my clients are very funny. So, um, so then I said, well, okay, why do I want the responsibility? Well, because I want to shift mindsets. Okay, again, why do I want to shift mindsets? Because what we are currently doing mm -hmm. is not working. Mm, oh my goodness. I can't agree more on that and and how important that is. Uh, I just want to, for a second here, to reflect what you just shared and, and how you used your obstacles and challenges and turned them into amazing blessings, not only for yourself, but for others. And I love what you also said. If we're not lovers of people, if we're not here to support then we are having other ways to channel our strengths and our skill sets because leadership is all about people. Brilliant. That's right. And um, when you work with people, one of my foundational theories, uh, the basis of, of educating my clients and working with people is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Because Maslow, you know, he was a humanist. And um, he said, we all have those needs. And, and we know through COVID and going through this world pandemic, how important it was to meet our physiological needs first. They have to be met first before our psychological needs can be met. And so it put us back about two to three years because of such loss, loss of food and shelter and people and clothing and just all of those basic needs that, uh, you know, that were 
lost for so many families and jobs and so forth. And so um, here comes Maslow and he, you know, his theater, his, I'm sorry, his theory is really groundbreaking because it relates to each and every person. So when we are working with people, we must consider those physiological needs. And yeah. so that's how I tie it into my biopsychosocial, cultural, spiritual model. Mm. Because we know that that first level of physiological needs have to be met. You know, when you meet with the client, um, always, you know, would you like some water? Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Are you, those basic needs will interfere with the rest of your time with that client if those needs are not, not addressed. I love that because a lot of times we forget just because we're in a different place and trajectory in our life or career or have the Maslow needs met and matter of fact, doing extremely well in other arena. If we cannot relate to others that are still trying to figure out the basics and if we're not uh, showing kindness, compassion, inclusion, and opportunity also to help them to change the landscape and improve and get stable and give them chance and workforce or whatever might be um, in competitive world that we live in right now, uh, great opportunities to really uh, level set and pause and reflect, right? And what I love about obviously you are obviously being awarded, you've been doing some tremendous work in Maryland, which I love that part, um, career development and being engaged uh, with so many, with wide range of skill sets, but also wide range of needs. And do you mind sharing um, some of your success stories where you feel with this current times, it's a prime time for leaders to make the shift and what that shift looks like? I said, absolutely. You know, in the workplace, we saw this mass exodus of people, resignations, quiet quitting, you know, retention became a huge issue. Um, hybrid work issues also, you know, remote uh, or going back to in-person work. All of these things, it, this is a, became a whole new territory. Yeah. So, yes. And so, you know, leaders were not prepared for a world crisis. And we could mm. see them scrambling, you know, it, it, they, they just didn't know what to do. And so we needed change managers. We needed uh, those conversations and so forth to talk with the people. What do the people need? And so here in the state of Maryland, being president of the Maryland Career Development Association, we are helping people to understand how to transition. Yeah. And so we've pulled all of our transition experts and uh, trying to help people. And now what we're calling 
value-centered leadership because COVID has shifted priorities. So when we took a poll, our people said that their values changed. Mm. And interestingly enough, Isabella, their top priority they stated before COVID was monetary. They wanted the highest salary possible. But after COVID, guess what? Mm. It became family, child care, pet care, remote working. Their complete mindset uh, shifted to a different set of values. So those in those conversations that we had, it was no longer about getting a big house, getting a big car, get, having a swimming pool. None of those material things that were important prior to COVID. So that changed, the values changed. And so we really had to work with uh, leaders that were using a uh, sort of uh, a dominant uh, leadership style or ego-centered leadership style because it was no longer working. The dictatorships were just, they're just no longer working. So we had to do training and we had to prepare them um, how to talk to people during uh, crisis, uh, crisis time, how to communicate with people during crisis time and afterwards. Now, I want to, if I could have a minute here to, to really make this crystal clear. The, the dominant leader, the ecocentric leader um, is very much needed for people who need micromanagement. You see, so, so in other words, a leader, what we're doing is we're encouraging leaders to adopt different leadership styles for different people on their teams because mm -hmm. the team is so diversified. So what will happen is, uh, the half the team, let's say, might uh, appreciate that micromanagement, the dominant um, leadership style, and that works fine for them. But then your other fifty percent, you don't want to lose them. They would prefer the macro management. They want to be left alone because they are self-propelled. And so, um, what we found is that. Um, uh, encouraging leaders to uh, assess their leadership style, um, not only their preference, but how it would work in what context. So the context environment becomes very important to how um, the leader is coming with what style. Mm. That's a very good point and very interesting also given that not everybody um, have a sense of uh, not only 
leadership of who they are, right? Sense of motivation, sense of actualization, or desire or need to do more than bare minimum, regardless of environment, right? Some people just simply have a very different attitude and aptitude. And then you also have a people who are extremely passionate driven, and you really don't need much of management and you just need to give them chance and opportunity and let them um, unfold and unlock their potential and off they go, right? So recognizing what types of personalities we're dealing with and how to position, it's essential. And more we do that, then we can adjust accordingly. And even though everybody has a, for most part, same needs, right? As you talk about Maslow hierarchy, we also have additional needs that we are covering in this conversation with uh, Dr. Sajuta, um, because we are also seeing, as I said, not only disability, but also special types of needs where we have to create environment uh, to foster that, because those are not necessarily obstacles or issues, but there are assets in many ways so that we can accommodate people to really thrive in the best possible way that fits and suits them, the way they learn, the way they write or read or speak, or the way they express themselves. It doesn't mean just because it's different, that is wrong. And that is where we see a lot of labeling and also a lot of old model of leading across the board, everybody the same and across the board, everybody having same direction. Uh, when in reality, some of them need a more attention and more guidance while the others need less. That's right. That is, this is 100%, 100% true. And, um, you know, when it comes to performance evaluations and people really, you know, the CEOs, the C-suite, you wouldn't think that in the C-suite that they would be nervous, but they do get nervous to face their boards, you know, with the performance evaluation. But um, the, the front line, for example, you know, what I tell them uh, is that, um, in, during the performance evaluation, it should be a two-way conversation, of course. There's feedback, there's constructive feedback, and then on the other side, there should be some initiative also. But one of the things that's missing in the performance evaluation is retraining. Mm, love that. Yes, because Isabel, you know, we have human resource. This person has been hired uh, for a distinctive reason, right? The job description was there. HR uh, put that out, matched up the um, uh, duties, responsibilities, the education, the experience, everything, and they hired this person. So when we look at a person holistically as a whole, and this is why I use this biopsychosocial, cultural, spiritual model, because that person that comes to the table, and in my example, uh, this person is sitting at the performance evaluation um, in this example. But when that person is sitting there, it is not just one entity. It is five entities that make up one human being. Mm. So perhaps this fellow 
that is getting a lower score. You know, you I've seen these things, right? We've gone into the clinical setting and we've set up cameras to, to uh, see how these performance evaluations are going. And the manager will inevitably uh, duck responsibility, the manager in this particular this particular um, recording, what happened was he said, well, you know, we're, we're getting some complaints from your teammates that you're not effectively doing your part of the uh, project. And so, you know, watching this video and watching how the dynamics are in this performance evaluation. Um, it's it's almost like the manager wants shared responsibility in bringing him the bad news, so to speak. Right. So yeah. here's the thing. Here's the thing where we have to shift the mind. Why is the performance evaluation um, bad news? Why does it have to be bad news? It's an evaluation at this point, at this time, at this month, and at this year. This is what it looks like. This is how it's been going for you. So mm -hmm. how about using that time to say, instead of, well, let me even go back to those colleagues that were complaining about him. Why are these colleagues complaining, Isabella? They should be going to this person and saying, is there anything I can do to help you get started? Mm -hmm. You know, is there something that's, there might be something going on in their psychology, in their social, in their cultural, in their spiritual life that's affecting their work life. But nobody's asked and nobody has offered any help. So with this, that mindset, uh, that change of mindset, I want to bring in the empathy piece. Okay, so we must have a strong empathy ethic in the workplace. Now, again, to clarify, don't get me wrong, you and I are not going to have any empathy with the person who comes in late, who leaves early, who, no, no that's not what I'm talking about. We're going to uh, call that person in. We are going to review those um, criteria. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the person that is coming in on time, that is sleeping on time, that is trying very hard. But for some reason, he's missing the mark. You know, so creating effective teams is one of the things that I took to this manager. I said to the manager, I noticed on the recording that you said to this person, the colleagues are, are complaining about you, but now I'm going to suggest to you to work with the team. And how do you treat team members? You help each other. You work together. It's Collaboration, we keep throwing this word around as well. Collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. 
what does collaborate really mean? It means to cooperate with each other. Mm -hmm. If there is no team cooperation, you know, I mean, there's individual gain, individual competition, yes, but there's also team gains. And at the third level, there's the organization gain. So all of those three are important, but I want to see more empathy. I want to see an empathy ethic. I don't want to see the backstabbing. I don't want to see any of that in the workplace anymore. And I think that this post-COVID time is a critical time. We have to seize this time in history to change things that were, were so... Um, you know, toxic in the workplace, the toxic work behavior, uh, workplace behaviors, we have to change those. I can't agree more with you. And uh, as they say, what better time than now, right? And hopefully that from this pain that you mentioned earlier from quiet resignation, we also start seeing quiet uh, quitting, obviously, as a symptom, but also quite firing and quite hiring. We've seen really all three in my mind are very toxic types of uh, types of behavior that come, some from talent, some of them obviously due to team dynamics, but also most of it from what happened also from the leadership standpoint. And as we're addressing things from legacy perspective, what are you doing? What impact are you creating? And how is this translating not only for that moment of time, but also for setting the presidents and setting this uh, tone for future generation of leaders and, and also carrying the organizational culture, right? Yes. So with that in mind, um, I'm just curious if you don't mind sharing, obviously you found your gift, you found your skill set, you tapped into that amazing passion and knowledge, you've carving so much. Uh, and as a result, you're also being involved in so many other uh, um, events and opportunities to contribute. And recently, obviously, you were part of the UNESCO luncheon and be able to be uh, bringing your expertise uh, to peace building. Uh, that also is just extension, right, of the leadership. Yes. But do you mind sharing how these things of leaders also I, I always say leaders, it's what leader leadership and who is the leader is 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 in congruence and consistency of the person uh 24-7. It's not just because I just switched from one thing to the next. I'm having um, you know, in a different personality. You may have a different uh style adjusting if you're dealing with your family members versus your employees or 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 talent that you're managing, but but the differences in essence who we are should not be changing, should be consistent, right? So with that in mind, do you mind uh, bringing a little bit of um, how do you see today opportunity for leaders also to impact on global stages and be conduit as you are, this phenomenal conduit on global peace and all, all, all the conflict management and opportunities to really see things from different perspective? Thank you so much, Isabella. You're just wonderful. These questions are just fantastic, I tell you. Oh, um, UNESCO. I got involved with the World Council for Intercultural Global Competencies. Mm. And through that, um, I found 
this peace building world of UNESCO and uh, looking for strategies, new strategies mm -hmm. um, for a new era. And we keep saying, what is the new normal? And so um, I went straight to the World Council and UNESCO. And UNESCO has a very novel strategy that, uh, you know, is working. And the strategy is very simple. It seems very simple, but it's highly effective. And what UNESCO has done is they have created a story circle model. And that is something that I would really uh, like to uh, encourage and invite listeners to uh, research and implement. Because our teams, the teams that you lead are circles. They are circles of people. The only thing that UNESCO is saying that has been missing is that nobody knows the other person's story. Mm. And Isabel, you and I both know, right? We we both have a story to tell. Yeah. You know, e each person that's coming to the table has a story to tell. And so as people start revealing their story and as they start sharing their life and work stories, this builds empathy in that circle, right? Uh, albeit uh, the team, the group. And so it's a strategy to build that team building uh, and team co cohesiveness. And so, you know, being part of this UNESCO peace building uh, effort, the story circle effort has been a complete joy for me because it is creating empathy in teams and in companies. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing and it's something new and it's novel, and um, we really need it at this time. Absolutely, we need this at this time. I love the second, <laughs> the second part of your question was about emerging leaders. And um, I want to say that uh, I'm writing a book, it's called Activate Success. And uh, uh, I'm actually co-authoring it, and it will be launched in the coming winter uh, time, and I will let you know. But in this book, Activate Success, there are three things that I write about. First thing is you must know who you are. I'm using your words, Isabella, and they're straight in my book also. If you don't know who you are, you cannot be aware to help other people. 
You mm. must have self-knowledge and self-discovery. Yes. You must have self-discovery. So who am I? Where am I going? How do I get there? And how do I stay there? So that's the first component is self-leading. How do you lead yourself? Once you know yourself and once you get it straight in your mind, mind uh, uh, your heart brain, your gut brain, all of these places, once it's you feel in sync, then let's now go into the change process. And then the second thing, the, that's the third thing, you know, this readiness for change for yes. yourself, for other people. And the third component that I talk about is creating value-centered and empathetically, ethically prudent emerging leaders for the future. Mm, I love that blueprint. I love those steps. And I can't agree more with you um, how important it is uh, and also how important it is to understand and walk that through and, and show it and lead the way, which you're doing a great job of doing it, not only again in your regular career path, but also on the global scale. And I just love that we see tremendous opportunity for transformation and you are in midst of it and everybody watching and listening, you have so much to learn from Dr. Sajuta uh, that it's bringing to the table. I can't wait to learn more about the book, but I'm also uh, really cannot not to ask before we wrap up for today, um, what are you desiring deep down to be remembered known for because you already had built such a tremendous legacy you lived it you're still living your legacy you're leading with your legacy but question always comes up what are you hoping to leave behind um, so that future generations can be better off um, than our generation obviously and with challenges and difficulties that we're facing yes such a good question. Um, and I think the thing that comes up for me is sustainability. I think that we must work hard together. We have to lock arms together as female leaders yeah. to leave this world a better place for the next seven generations. You know, the indigenous uh, American Indians, they make decisions for seven generations to come. And mm -hmm. I think that we should adopt this uh, philosophy because it's not only about theories or models. Post-COVID, it's becoming about philosophies. People are uh, really getting in touch with their spiritual centers. You mm -hmm. see the center of their soul, their chakras, if you will, uh, to use the Indian uh, term. Um, but sustainability, I think it's so important to leave a legacy as you, uh, you know, are doing yourself. 
and uh, connecting those dots, right? I mean, in, in my circle, I'm known as the doctor who connects the dots. Uh, it was my favorite game as a child, uh, even before I uh, learned how to speak English. Uh, the teachers were giving me these connect the dots uh, pages, you know, where the picture would emerge. And I still use that metaphor for today. We must help people to connect the dots so that a picture, a beautiful picture, emerges for them, for work and for life. I love that. And you're amazing uh, dot connector and uh, showing what's possible. And um, again, tremendous kudos for your work. And if our listeners and people that are watching want to get in touch with you, where's the best way to learn more about you and your work and, and be able to also um, tap into your tremendous wisdom, Dr. Sujita. Thank you. Please find me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.